What's up, folks? Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers here, and I'm joined by football theorist over at Inside Texas and author of America's War Game on Substack, Ian Boyd. And we are here for another edition of Football Theory. And uh, honestly, probably uh, the most celebratory edition of Football Theory, maybe in the history, very short history of the show, Ian, uh, because Texas pulled off the big win over Alabama. Just initial thoughts. Just I'm going to give you the floor, initial thoughts. After that big win, uh, how do you think Texas uh, was able to pull off the big win over Alabama? Well, for anyone that didn't join us, me and Rod both did halftime with Aaron Hogan and and the others on the watch with us uh, feature oh, yeah. that we're doing this year on, on Texas football. And we were we were talking at halftime, right? It was like, okay, this looks exactly like we thought it would look. <laughs> yeah. They're throwing the ball. They're throwing the run. Yep. They um. I don't know if you happen to see the stats on this, but they had to have have had JT Sanders flexed out on 50% of his snaps at least. Right? Yeah, I would think he's, so. He's moving around. They're throwing RPOs. They're throwing quick, quick, quick game, quick screens, drop back. They took some shots eventually. <laughs> it was obviously like, we're going to run to keep them honest. We're going to run when we have to but we're going to beat them throwing the ball with Quinn Ewers to all these receivers. That was the game plan. And it worked. It did. It worked. It was a, um, I don't think it was one of the, it was the best game plan I've, I've seen from Sark, honestly. And it was the, 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 the butterfly moment for Quinn Ewers, right? He went from being a caterpillar to a butterfly before our very eyes. If you beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, you know, you it, beat Alabama period, you probably, you become a Heisman trophy, you know, front runner. And right now, I think he has the second best odds, uh, Heisman odds right now in the country. That's why everybody's looking at Quinn Ewers. And I think a lot of it was the game plan. Let's get right to it. Let's not waste any time. Let's kind of dive into it. Now, you said, hey, speaking of things that football theory hit on, we hit on a few things. You talked about uh, the, uh, the, the the empty formation, the throwing to open up the run, uh, power personnel packages, uh, but pivoting to pass principles. We'll get into that. We even saw receivers in the backfield, something we threw out there nonchalantly at the end of the show. Your grand uh, prediction was that Texas would have to throw at least 40 times to win the game. They were close, two attempts shy. I don't. I, basically, if Texas didn't have to, it wasn't able to choke choke out the game in the last, what, seven minutes in the fourth quarter, there's a really good chance, Ian, that your prediction comes to fruition in that game. Yeah. So Quinn hit 38. Worthy actually threw another one. I don't know if that counts in the stat sheet, though, because it was a DPI. <laughs> um, That's a good point. <laughs> so they were real close, and they might have – I mean, I don't know what the play call was going to be on fourth and three. Probably another run. Yeah. Alabama seemed to think it was going to be a pass, though, because they jumped off sides. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Texas got him. So, yeah, it was real close. I think that that was maybe for for Texas fans, like the catharsis of seeing Quinn land the deep shot to Xavier Worthy mm. was probably number one. Yep. But Agreed. watching Texas close that game out by just running the ball, like however many, seven straight times in a row, and then kneeling, I mean, that was – it doesn't get better than that for beating Alabama in their own building. The worst loss they've had there in like 20 years and doing it by just running the ball down the field and then kneeling it out. I mean, that's yeah, that's about as dominant uh, ending scene as you can imagine. 
yeah, proving basically you're the more physical team at the end of the day in the fourth quarter, and you're also the more disciplined team against Nick Saban's team in the fourth quarter. And yeah. that's what we, we hadn't seen this team perform like a fourth quarter team and a four quarter team. They outscored Alabama 21 to eight in the fourth quarter, where they went and took the game from Alabama in the fourth quarter. That was the best thing to me, most satisfying element of that win for Texas. But let's talk about it. Um, you brought up uh, the deep shot. Man, I mean, we might we can kind of start there with the deep shot initially that led to the uh, exuberation, <laughs> the exuberant uh, moment for Texas fans when finally, I think he, prior to that game, Texas was one of 15 on their last uh, shots downfield, vertical shots of 20 yards or more down the field. And there was you know, no evidence that Texas was going to you know, be able to convert against Alabama in Tuscaloosa of all places, but they did. Uh, they were actually ended up being three of, I believe it was three of five on deep shots, but it was two pass interference calls. So actually, I think it, you basically kind of break it out. You ended up being like five of seven converting on those deep shots down the field. So Texas was able to convert on those deep shots successfully. Uh, I think one of the best ways that Texas did was they, they found a way to isolate. And you talked about, you know, give you credit again. You said they got to attack the safeties. Got to attack the linebackers and the safeties. Got to find a way to do it. Sark did it on the first big shot downfield, the one he connected on. He actually took one that was incomplete, had the double pass uh, as well on that uh, in that first drive of the second quarter. But then the one they connected on for X-Man was right at Caleb Downs, the five-star safety for Alabama, was able to isolate him in coverage. Yeah. So, Matthew, if you can give us uh... – the X-Man touchdown diagram, if you please. <laughs> what they did on this play is they had Worthy isolated to the right side of the formation, and they, <clears throat> they had a trips bunch in the boundary. But then they – so whenever you're in a formation like that, Alabama calls in a play, and it's like, here's your primary coverage. Here's what you check to, you know. You as a DB probably remember stuff like this. You have audibles. Here's your check that you do yep. if they motion to something else. Yep. Okay. They move JT Sanders from the uh, almost in the box to outside of Xavier Worthy. Mm-hmm. So Alabama's got to make a quick check. Yeah. And they can't they can't just get a new play call in because Texas just could snap the ball. So they make the quick check and they're like, okay, just treat it like two by two. And treated like JT Sanders is a receiver, which, you know, honestly, right? And treat Xavier Worthy as a slot. Okay, great. But now your rules for covering the slot in this coverage are carry him up to the safety with the linebacker. Safety has him deep. Mm-hmm. Well, the linebacker did not do much. <laughs> Help out his man. Xavier Worthy, 10-5 speed, straight up the pipe at down. Yep. Gives him a little move, runs by him. And um, I noted in the column also, they had Jonte Cook on the other end of the field also. Yeah. And he so ran like a six so, route, like an in route, deep in. Yeah. Deep in cut. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know my number system very well, but like I would, a dig, I would call it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he's in the slot too. Yeah. So he also is occupying a safety. So he cuts in and the weak safety chases him. And now there's nobody deep to help Downs, freshman. Five-star, going to be very good, but tough spot. 
for any DB. You know what it reminds me of? Dude, I played in Canada. And there is a rule in Canada, basically, where oh. they allow the receiver to get a running start toward the line of scrimmage. Dude, he's oh. running at full speed. When he gets to the line of scrimmage, he's in full gallop. It Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. It's the toughest thing I ever had to cover in, in, in football at any level. There's nothing like having to cover a guy that's running at you full speed when you're essentially either backpedaling in retreat or you're trying to, you know, have a check step or you're trying to shuffle out. That's essentially what you turned that coverage into for Caleb Downs. He had to cover Xavier Worthy full sprint, full gallop, and then predict on a two-way go whether he's going post or whether he's going to go post corner or whether he's going to the corner. It's, it's literally, I don't, it's not many DBs in the country that can defend it. It really aren't. So, so really, it was it was the right coverage. Sark said that the right coverage, and it was a, it was a good throw, not a great throw because the throw was it was. But what was good about the throw it was high, and it allowed X Man to adjust, and it was a really great catch because he almost did it like right over like over his like over his back, not even over any shoulder, right or left. Um, but you're right, it was a, it was really Sark being able to manipulate the one on ones, and he was able to to manipulate a perfect one on one, like you said, and attack. The safeties going back to football theory. Um, also, I think, sorry on the on the Ewers throw. I think Ewers has kind of landed on that as his solution. Throw it high. Shots. His arc is he just throw these moon shots <laughs> that land in the end zone, right? So you and you're just throwing them away from the coverage, but you're throwing them away from the coverage in a way that uh, your guy has time to get the ball in the air. They can adjust to it. If you got talented receivers, they can adjust to it, which Texas does have. Honestly, oh. the A.D. Mitchell one, the, t- the deep A.D. Mitchell one, you're right. Because he could have, he's supposed to throw it over kind of that inside shoulder, but it, he throws it more of the outside shoulder, and then A.D.'s got to adjust to it. It's great for your draft highlight film, and the scouts love it because they see your body control and your catch radius, but you're right, it's I don't, and maybe it's not ideal, but it's working. Hey, whatever works. Well, it's it's really hard to time those more direct shots. And like last year we saw, you know, I don't know, it felt like 200 balls where Worthy couldn't adjust in the air in time to get there. Yep. And a lot of times he'd like see where it was going and he'd just kind of pull up, which drove fans nuts. But it was like, guys, he's never going to get to that ball. He's there. Yeah, they're like, you're so fast. It's like, nope, he's not that fast. You can't, <laughs> you can't change his line on a dime like that and get from A to Z, you know? So yeah, Ewers is just putting some air under it and problem solved. Also, when you put air under it and just lead them into the end zone that way, yeah, you don't have to worry as much about backside safeties showing up out of frame and picking that off. There's been a lot of talk like in the NFL right now, people are like, the deep shot is dead. Where did the deep shot go? That's well, a great part of this, yeah. A lot of it is teams are playing these quarters coverages like Texas and Alabama play where the weak safety can uh, rob the post from the other side of the field. Yeah. If he's got, yeah, if he's got no work, he'll have rules where it's yeah. like, Hey, if you're, if you're in this circumstance, just get deep and take away the post and the quarterback, he's reading the other safety. So it causes, it causes huge problems. Um no, you might be right about that. I got to go look at the Monday night football game, but Josh Allen threw like three interceptions all to the same dude, and they were all deep passes. They were all deep down the field. I wonder if that's one of them. <laughs> it was like basically they're taking away the deep shot, especially from guys like that with the big arm, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, no, it's a good point about that. And um, I'll, I'll get back to – we're talking about, you know, the offense and, you know, some of the deep shots. 
one of the things that I think kind of broke tendency for Sark, and a, a big part of his game plan in this matchup was to break tendency. Um, the first deep shot didn't come until the second quarter. Whatever he saw, though, Ian, he, he was adamant about it. Remember? Because he threw three in a row, essentially. He threw the first one. It was incomplete. He had a double pass, that pass interference call, and then he connected on the deep shot. So what he saw the coverage that he liked. And Alabama did not make any adjustment because Sark was like, I'm going. I'm going. I see it. It's, it's, this is the time. And he got stubborn about taking that deep shot in the second quarter. So he saw the right coverage, whether they were bracketing um, or whether the, the, the adjustment, the check they made. Sark knew this is the time. He, yeah. He you got to love that. Yeah, I do. I, I love how stubborn he was about it. Yeah. You, you, figure, you figure he's probably exactly what you're saying. He's like, we got this right now. We're going to take it as many times as we can before they can get to the sideline and fix it. Yeah. Or I, I actually saw a commenter who was at the game was saying that um, at some point in the game, Downs was really laboring. And uh, oh, maybe saw that. that. And so that could have been a factor as well. I mean, that, that may have also been later. I noticed that kid is fast and he runs really hard all the time. And Texas was basically just had him running gassers all game, which is yeah. not fun. And basically, t- and this Bama did it to they did they did it to Jaron Thompson. Yeah, when they had the the Burton touchdown, it was, it was a very similar concept where yeah. we want to get that safety isolated and we want to have a wide receiver coming at him full speed and see if he can adjust real time. And Jaron Thompson's a good player. It's almost impossible for anybody in that situation if you got a really fast receiver and a and a, an accurate throw. But getting back to the breaking tendency. Let's talk about first down. They even commented on this during the game, so I want to go back and track it. Uh, Sark usually first down pass rate. He's not, you know, he's not antiquated. So he's he's probably 55 to 60% first down pass rate, uh, which is I maybe pretty standard. I haven't done the deep dive research. But in this game, in, in the first three quarters, he was above 70% first down pass rate. Essentially, and he had, he, he admitted in the not in the post game, but in the media availability on Monday that he didn't think the running game was going to work. So another one for football theory, we said, uh, Sark's smart enough to know just the traditional running game ain't going to work. You got to shake it up a little bit, maybe pass to open up the run. That's exactly what he did on that first downs. He decided to basically make that a an extension of the running game. A lot of quick, high percentage passes, eighty percent completion percentage on first down passes for Quinn Ewers and uh, I'll say 11 yards per attempt. And you got, you got a couple of shot plays. You got some big plays out of there. You got your, your 50 yarder for a JT out of there. There was a, the, 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 uh, the 44 yarder touchdown. Cause we know Sark loves the deep ball on first down. You got that on first down. So we took some shots, but most of those first down passes were just quick, long handoffs for Quinn Ewers. I got another stat you're going to love. Uh, Cause this is, goes back to your 40 attempt. Uh, prediction in 2.11 seconds time to throw for Quinn Ewers on average. 2.1 seconds, bro. Got it out of his hands like that every time. It was synchronized with the, it basically insulated the pass protection. The pass protection was good, but the game plan made it even better. Yeah, I mean, they basically went in there and played it like a Big 12 team. <laughs> you know? Like a more advanced, more sophisticated team, because Big 12 teams can't do everything Texas does on offense. 
Yeah. Just kind of the same, the general theory of sort of like asymmetrical warfare. Like we're not going to try to go bully Alabama maybe at the end of the game when we got them on the ropes. Yeah. That's what they did. But in the meantime, we're going to, you know, we're going to make Foreman punch himself out, right? We're going to, uh, we're going to fling the ball. We're going to make those D linemen chase. This is, this is what, this is an unpleasant thought. <laughs> this is what Mac wanted to do in 09. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, you, uh, yeah. I mean, it would have worked. Yeah, no, you, that's a good point. Yeah. Just Not that much has changed, honestly. That's a good point about kind of bringing it back to a Big 12 style, if you will. Because it was, it was just high percentage passes, getting the ball out of his hands. Um, and like I said, on first down, I think Sark knows. And actually, if you look at first down defense last season, Alabama wasn't a great first down defense. They actually were ranked like in the 70s and 80s in first down defense last season. They weren't great. And they are situated and built and constructed to defend the run on first down. Sark knows this better than anybody because he knows Saban. And I think he decided, you know what? Not only am I going to go a higher first down pass rate, I'll go pretty absurd, absurdly high first down pass rate, let that be an extension of the run game. Another way he broke tendency. And we also talked about this on the show, presenting power personnel packages and pivoting to pass principles. You said, hey, man, you'd go heavy sets and throw out of heavy sets. And honestly, he did that with 12. Actually, first play of the game, he came out in 12 personnel in empty formation. They didn't run as much as I wanted them to run it, but they, they essentially were going along with your, your thoughts that, hey, man, let's go heavy, present heavy, but let's go pass. How about this? Over 12 yards per attempt when they were throwing out of 12 personnel. Um, damn near 50%. They were 40, a little lower 48% pass rate out of 12 personnel. Usually Sark hovers around thir- between 30 and 35% pass rate out of 12. He decided to up that. Another way you broke tendency, going back to something you said, hey, man, even the, the heavy sets, throw, because that's a great way to isolate one-on-one matchups. So what was the pass rate then out of 12? 40, you said? 46? I was 48%. 48. I got, I got 48% pass rate out of 12. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> he loves that. He's really good at um, manipulating defenses by throwing out of 12 in general. I've observed this. But uh, Gunner Helm is a pretty good receiver. He likes Gunner. Yeah. And, um, you know, Quinn is so much more advanced in this offense now. I I don't think that'll be the last time we see them do something like that. I think in the Big 12 schedule, they may just kind of – they have a lot of games coming up, Rod, where they can kind of coast if they play as well and as hard. If they play anywhere near as close to as well as hard as they did against Alabama. So they may just run on some teams. But, uh, you know, at, at some point, I, I bet we see that again because they're yeah. he's so good at manipulating teams in twelve. And he loves it. He he's he he says tight end is the most important position in his office behind quarterback. I'm with you. I actually thought, oh man, he's gonna he's gonna be bullish about eleven this year because of the wide receiver personnel. He actually is pretty. He's been steady on his belief that he's gonna run a lot of twelve personnel too. Um, another way he broke tendency, I thought, and I think now he just has the luxury of it. Uh, Ian, that the the X man factor, you know, X man, he you know, Sark is known for force feeding the football to X man, regardless of the situation or circumstance, and it's not always a bad idea. Uh, but in this game, he was mostly a decoy in the second half. You remember some of those big plays, a lot of those big plays, they're doubling uh, or, or bracketing X man. Uh, I believe it was the AD Mitchell deep touchdown 
you go look at that backside, weak side safety. He's he's he 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 faces initially faces, I believe, the trips formation with strong side, but then once the ball is snapped, he goes directly to X-Man and essentially they're bracketing X-Man, which takes away from takes another number out of the coverage and it makes Sark's bracket buster, bracket beater money for A.D. Mitchell to be one-on-one with that corner on the other side because he gets no safety help. So it X-Man was a decoy, was also a bit of a you know, break-in tendency because did we see him a lot in the second half? The, right? it, was, it was J.T. Sanders and the A.D. Mitchell show. Yeah, and Jay Witt. And Jay Witt. And Jay Witt. Jay Witt. Was, do you remember when the play was where they did your deal? Where they yes, like second and 15. Yes. Was it second and 15? They flexed Brooks out. They put Worthy in the backfield. Oh, no, no, you're right. That was, that was third. It was third and five or third and yeah, four. Yeah, third and five. It actually yeah. probably shouldn't have worked. And Xavier, but Xavier Worthy is hilariously a dog when people, yes. are, trying, when people are trying to tackle him, even though you're he's right. Because like, he got nine yards on it. He's like three inches taller than me <laughs> and like five pounds heavier. Yeah. And, and he's hard to tackle. He's hard to tackle and he will not go down. That guy, he's impressive. No, no, that's a great point. They put him in the backfield. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they, you're right. They had him tackled for either a loss or definitely not for the first down. He got nine yards on that play. They tried it again to end. They put Jay Witt in the backfield. It was a third down. Ended up being an incompletion on that down. So, sorry, once again, going back to what you said, let's isolate our wide receivers on linebackers and safeties. What better way to do that than to put them in the backfield? Sark did it twice in this game. I've never seen him do it twice in the game. He did it once in the um, Washington game. He did it like once during the season. Uh, maybe it was like Iowa State, someone like that. He's done it before, but he's never done it twice in the game. So Sark was in his bag, no question. And, um, and the, um, the, uh, the play where the they hit the deep shot to Adonai Mitchell, um, the weak safety, Saban complained after the game that he needed to be robbing the post. Um, yeah, and yep. he didn't, yeah, and he didn't. And uh, in the if you watch the film, you could see how they would have wanted him to do that because they got outnumbered on the the dig post combination. They had yep. no help from the linebackers in that play again. And then Caleb Downs gets put in a bad spot, and then the corner gets or the nickel gets beat over the top. So Saban was like, "We needed our weak safety to get over there." But uh, if you watch the weak safety. He looks very intentional about bracketing. Yeah, X-Men. So he, and they were bracketing him a lot in that half. Mm-hmm. So either, you know, Saban forgot that they were bracketing or the player didn't realize that on that particular play, he needed to not do that. Something, yeah. bro- something broke down. Uh, I agree. And, uh, you know, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm with you on that because it, it seems to me that uh, there was some because on one the 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 AD Mitchell deep touchdown, I believe they bracket number two on the trip side, which ends up being Jay Witt, if I'm not mistaken. They bracket him because he runs a deep dick cut. Uh, JT Sanders is number three, he runs an out route. The linebacker, I believe, chases him, and he's right. actually you know he's open too, but the linebacker chases, and for some reason, they leave that corner one on one. I'm thinking to myself. Shouldn't the safety drop back either that with that deep deeper route? But that that's how deep that dig was, though. That's the key of that deep dig. It does threaten the safety vertical, and I believe his rules are: if I'm threatened vertical, take it with that number two, and he took it. I think he has to because 
or yeah. else it's a linebacker. Exactly. And he took it and that left that corner one on one. No, it is a it's a it's a really nice concept by Sark, but I agree. The only way to cheat for the defense is that backside safety. He's got to be watching. And that backside safety's eyes went directly to X-Men. If he was looking at the actual, you know, kind of coverage and if he was actually had a more expansive view, he probably could have saw things develop and see he had no threat really coming to him directly. And because that that safety, the, the strongest safety, it broke on the in route. So, oh, you know what? I got I'm kind of free because X-Man's not threatening me. I can actually go threat. I can go cheat the post. And they never it never happened. They never saw it. Even if he did, though, it was another moonshot. So he was never going to get to it anyway. And Saban can complain, but that's te- true. teachable moment, maybe. But they weren't going to stop that no matter what. Like you said, the way they threw it, he threw it almost away from that safety anyway every time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, naturally. Uh, okay, another way that they broke tendency. I just want to throw this out there. I, I heard Sark say it in the media availability on Monday, and I loved it. And I don't know if you heard it. He basically said in the fourth quarter, someone asked him, hey, what changed for you in the fourth quarter? Because this was a really successful one for you. And the teams last year, Texas got outscored in the fourth quarter in overtime, even though they outscored their opponents by, I think, 179 points combined in the first three quarters. And then Sark said, I decided to be more aggressive um, instead of being, you know, conservative and trying to get my offense to a rhythm, I did the opposite. He said I decided to just be uber aggressive at that time. And basically that's what ended up being the difference. And I think the reason he decided to be uber aggressive is because he trusts his personnel now. And maybe last season in 2021, he didn't totally trust all the personnel where he could be really uber aggressive in the fourth quarter. But maybe we also watched a transformation from Sark now as a play caller that in the fourth quarter and maybe in the second half, that instead of getting someone who's trying to get his offense to a rhythm, he said usually he's trying to call plays that his players are comfortable with. It wasn't about that. It was just about trying to be as aggressive as possible. Maybe that's the new formula for Sark uh, to avoid the second half collapses or the second half um, lulls by the offense. I think it was probably mostly just playing to the strengths like you're kind of suggesting. Like in 2021, Texas's strength on offense was scripting ways to get freshman Xavier Worthy the ball mm. and scripting ways to try to keep teams away from Bijan and then hope they did something magical. That was pretty much all they could do. <laughs> in 2022, the strength of the team was run the ball with Bijan and Roshan, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um and they just did not really have like the deep bag that Stark has now with an experienced quarterback. They didn't have, I mean, just the difference between Quinn Ewers this year and Quinn Ewers last year, or Casey Thompson the year before, especially yeah. after the thumb injury, is pretty monumental. I I think you just if if you're this Texas team and you're like, okay, it's winning time, what are we gonna lean on to go win this game? It's necessarily something aggressive right it's throw to jt sanders it's throw to jordan whittington mm-hmm. throw, to, throw to mitchell throw to worthy if he's not still being bracketed yep so um yeah i think this is where sark wants to live ideally i wouldn't be shocked if we see a return to something more conservative if in a future year if they don't have yours this assortment of weapons yeah and <laughs> nfl, NFL rep receivers every year so that's a What's great the, point. Yeah. Cause my yeah, thing is maybe they ground and pound a little more again, if they lose some of these guys, 
Uh, that's actually something, you know, we're going to get in, We're going to talk a little bit of Wyoming at the end of football theory. And I want to get back to that. I want to, I want to get back to that conversation. Cause I think there's some meat on that bone. That I want to discuss uh, before we jump to defense. One other little nugget talking about the uh, Texas offense versus Alabama. Uh, we got to get props to the offensive line uh, in because uh, not allowing a sack versus Alabama. If I told you that rice would have had more effective pressure packages, and would have had more pressures, more sacks, and more quarterback hits versus Texas than Alabama. You probably would have asked me what ver- what drug I was on, all right, and I probably need to get some help. <laughs> that would have been my prediction. But that's exactly what happened. How did that happen, Ian? What, what, how is that possible? Yeah. Uh, how is that possible? <laughs> exactly. I, mean, I, I mean, I definitely think that they were more prepared for Alabama than rice. Um, I think there was also a, di- a dimension of like, um, you know, they had a two minute drill against rice and they didn't necessarily have two minute drill situations against Alabama. And rice actually accumulated a couple hits on Quinn in that two minute drill that made the numbers extra bad before the half. Yeah. Rice also went into that game being like, we're going to junk it up. We're going to throw the kitchen sink at them. And Alabama went into this game as they go into virtually all their games saying the same thing they say every week. We're going to play good sound pass defense and stop the run on first and second down. <laughs> then we'll get wild on third down with our blitz package and not before then. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's not, I, the, the big difference really is that like, you know, like last year, Alabama didn't need to get crazy on first and second down to get all up in your business. Yeah. They had that fellow named Will Anderson, right? Mm-hmm. And they still have guys that are supposed to be really good NFL prospects, probably not Will Anderson. No. But they just got shut down by Calvin Banks and Christian Jones. And Texas's interior really stepped up to the plate and didn't give away uh, anything free up inside either so another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app find a location near you at bank of slash talk to us what would you like the power to do Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Uh, that's a number of factors. I can almost explain it, right? Does that almost make yeah. sense? No, 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 it does. No, I think, honestly, you hit the nail on the head when you first, uh, with your initial retort, which was what, basically, I don't think Texas game plan for Rice at all. I think when we, remember we had the football theory before Rice and we said, 
how basically how much of the practice time and preparation and game planning of this week is actually spent on Bama and not Rice? Maybe not the coaches saying it overtly, but covertly putting it into the game plans. And honestly, now I'm more confident than ever in that, you know, in that theory that, you know, I, I believe that they were basically prepping for Bama the entire offseason and even, you know, last uh, game, first game of the week of season, I should say, versus Rice. I think that was the case, in my opinion. That's why they were so prepared. And they had, the game plan was a fantastic game plan. And even for the offensive line, I think them making the leap from week one to week two, that's probably the biggest factor in them winning this game. We knew that Quinn had this ability to be you know, an elite quarterback. He, had the high, he was the highest rated quarterback what, in modern recruiting history coming out. We knew he had this ability. We had, and we seen flashes of it, all the, by the way, too, at Oak versus Oklahoma, first quarter against Alabama last season. We had not seen anything like this from the offensive line. We had not seen anything like this. There was no evidence to support that they were going to go into Tuscaloosa and dominate the line of scrimmage versus Alabama. Texas offensive line, the first offensive line since 2014 to allow fewer than three quarterback pressures and zero sacks versus Alabama. That's, that's domination. And I'll give you a nugget before we move on. Shout out to my man Jeff Howe who gave me this because he's an offensive line guy, so he was uh, looking at it. You know the, uh, the offsides by Bama to end the game? Yeah. Go back and watch the uh, – I believe it's the right hand of Hayden Connor. Have you seen this? He essentially on the play, there are some that believe that he may have caused the Bama defender to, come off, to, uh, to go offsides. Uh, because or jump off sides because he clenched his hand. Go back and watch it. He it's it's obvious once you see it, you can't unsee it. But right before he doesn't move any other part of his body, and I'm sure this is legal because I don't know you. This is hand. He does this like a, it's like a, it's a, and it's it stands out when you see it in slow motion because they replayed it, and he showed it to me. And I was like, damn! And it does it does actually time. You know, the timing works with the guy jumping off sides and maybe he was just looking for any movement and he saw some movement and he went. And if you are a defender, when you're getting ready to blitz, it is one of those things where you're just looking for movement because you get there and you know everything's got to be still until your periphery gets that movement. And and my man Jeff asked Hayden Connor about it and he would not uh, confirm nor deny whether it was a trick of the trade. There you go. All right. Is that legal? I don't know. That's a, I now have to ask someone if that is legal. If you because go, he does it. So if it's not legal, then you know they got away with one. But if it is legal, then it's brilliant because everybody's on pins and needles right before that ball snap. And I get to any type of movement, something like that, that would definitely trigger me. I'd be, I'd be all up on that. It's really interesting. Go back and look at it, Longhorn fans. Go check it out on the office. Get Hayden Connor, gotta give him some credit. I think it was his right hand, it could be love, but either way, he did a clinch and. It may have been the reason that Bama jumps off sides. If that is the reason, my point is great football IQ. My point is the guys are now engaging in the chess match within the game on their level. Sark's got to win his chess match. No doubt they are. Right? But they got to win their own chess match individually, right? One-on-one. That's what that would signal to me. You see, there's We have one of those on defense too, but I'd be remiss if I didn't know. Did you see amongst the many excuses coming out of College Station? Yes! On the fourth, was it a two-point conversion is what it was. Yep. And the Miami safety, I mean, this absolutely did happen. 
but the Miami safety is like kind of looking in the back and he's like, and he does a clap. Oh, he did actually do it then. Do it. He absolutely. Oh, I didn't know he did. I thought he was just complaining about, okay. Was was he like clapping to his teammates? Like, Oh, let's go. Let's do this. Or was it an attempt to, and I, I do think that it wasn't. Yes. I don't think it was. Yeah. Brilliant. That's a, that's brilliant to me. Honestly, if he was doing it to, in, to entice the other side, oh, that's 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 brilliant, man. That's and it's, and you get that. your safety to do it, like the line guy's not looking at the safety. Yeah, wow. Looking, I heard Jimbo's comments. I didn't watch the game though, and so I didn't get to no, see. No, he's that right. Game. I mean, everything Jimbo said was right, and he usually tried to give like a. Uh, it's not an excuse, but huh? But it. I mean, it's not. You can't. You can't talk about things like that when you get whipped like that, or it just exactly. sounds. Sounds it like sounds like excuses. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, but I, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, okay, speaking of uh, defenders making plays, we might as well jump to the other side of the ball. Let's talk defense. And give me your thoughts, honestly, because uh, we can go. We can start a number of places here with the defense side of the ball. They definitely won the line of scrimmage. Uh, what was your? What were the main factors to you as to why the defense uh, had a successful game plan versus Bama? Well, they had a great plan for Milrow. Um, they did what we said they would do. They played zone. They kept eyes on the quarterback. They played contain outside of one or two early plays where Ethan Burke got a little ahead of his skis. Mm-hmm. Um, but they contained the ball. I saw a, a good prominent account in college football was like, why did Alabama not run more zone read? Because Texas just played contain every time. There's no point. Because the edges, right? You talked about this. They, yeah, they, they just funneled it inside, and Alabama couldn't block um, Murphy, Sweat, Collins. <laughs> they couldn't block them well enough to uh, get down the field doing that. Um, that's why they didn't do that. Hmm. So it, it looked like we thought zone, contain. There was a great play that Joe Cook got some quotes from Jade Barron on. Saw this. Jadai Barron. Yeah, I saw this quote. It's a great quote. They're playing a zone, and um, Alabama ran the same formation twice in the in the first drive, or a similar formation. And the first time, Jedi Barron kind of played off, and uh, he noticed, and he was just like kind of hawking back, like ready yeah. to pounce on something, because he's playing a he's actually playing a shallow zone, but he lined up a little back, as though he were having to carry a deep shot. And Alabama just went somewhere else with the ball. So Barron was like, okay, if I want him to throw to me playing shallow zone, I got to show him. I got to show him something different. So the next time they get in a trips formation like that, Barron comes up like he's going to be in press. And then this time, Milrow does go that direction with the ball. And Barron is lurking in shallow zone. And then he picks off the pass coming from outside in outside of Milrow's vision and picks it off. Man, when you hear stories like that, like where they where Texas DB sound like Richard Sherman. <laughs> it is encouraging. Yo, what cuz uh, Sark's been talking about a football IQ for the last 2 years. He wants to increase the football IQ. And to me all that is is you know the chess match within the game happening at field level. Right, you got to win your individual chess match, whether that's Hayden Connor trying to get guys to jump off sides, whether that's Jade Barron adjusting to a route, a favorite route concept of Alabama and going, Oh, so 
I figured out what his initial read is. If I can give him misinformation, uh, then he can have a, a, the wrong read. Then, man, he'll throw it right to me. That's, you know, that's the chess match within the game. These, the, the football IQ of this team is starting to increase exponentially. And we, we're starting to see live, real live examples of it. So I'm with you, man. That's, that's encouraging. As, as a DB, it's heartwarming. I'm, I'm a DB, member of DBU, so uh, that just kind of warms my cockles, if you will. Uh, let's talk about the five sacks for Texas because I thought they missed it. Like- <laughs> no, uh, but, but, but I thought they missed like three or four sacks in the game. Did you did you count that? I think it could have had like eight or nine sacks. Well, if they'd called holding, um, would have been a um, couple more probably, right? Yes, but true. I mean, get used to it. They're not going to call holding in the Big Twelve. It's like a it's like a directive in the Big Twelve not to call holding on Plus Texas and Oklahoma. Every, yeah, and everybody's so good at uh, at cheating about it. Um, you know, get their hands inside and then hang on for dear life. Yep. Um, yeah, they the edges for Texas are playing so much better than you would have dared hope in the offseason. Remember, like, in the spring and the portal, the, the different portal windows? It was like – Yep, we were freaking out. About- Texas needs to get an edge. Tra- was O'Shawn Mathis everybody wanted really bad that year? Like he has yeah, two years ago. Yeah. He, was, he was the answer two years ago. Oh, we need O'Shawn yeah. Mathis. Yeah. Yeah. Had, yeah, they people were desperate. To that get was exactly. And uh Burke looks very good. Looks Ross fantastic. looks good. Baron Sorrell quietly had like three hurries and two hits or something wild. Mm-hmm. So Sorrell didn't get the numbers, but he didn't play on third down very much. And he had, he was all up in Milrose business. And then this Anthony Hill kid. Wow. Totally uh, yeah. natural. I mean, he got, he only played like 25 snaps and yeah. he ended up with two sacks. I believe he had like four run stops. I mean, statue was low. He was so impactful on those 25 plays that he played, he was a spy most of the time. He was a spy, and he was great as a spy. He really was. I mean, he's athletic enough. And that was like one, I think, one play where he was rushing from the edge. And made, he got a little two upfield and, and basically gave Elaine the mirror. But hey, once, you know, you saw that. from I saw Jade Barron give up contain once. I saw Ethan Burke do it once. I saw... I saw Anthony Hill do it once. I mean, after that one time where they each kind of, you know, had made that mental error, you didn't see it a lot. And that's why Jalen Monroe really had nowhere to go. I, I said that Texas needed to have a plan for empty. How about this for the sack, uh, one of those, uh, the sack numbers. They had five sacks, right? How about this? Three of them came when Alabama went to empty. Three of them. Three of the five. So remember I said Texas had to have a plan for empty formation with Jalen Muro because he was going to stress them and really threaten the structural integrity of the defense. They were ready. I counted, I believe it's 13 plays out of empty formation and uh, it, it, 50% completion rate. I mean, the rushes, they got a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of scampers, but nothing big. Everything was negligible. Uh, Texas did a great job defending empty formation. So I'll give them a ton of credit for that. That Texas defense was ready for that. And and Bama broke out a, a few times, but they didn't, I don't think they increased the rate of it because they didn't see any success from it. Yeah. I was not, yeah. Not good for them. I noticed <laughs> also that they were good about um, on the Benda sack. They had Chris Ross was on the right side and they had him go inside 
and not contain. Oh. So there was an escape route for Milrow, but he had to run to his left. And mm. I think they were pretty intentional about, we will let him get out, but we're going to make him go left so that he can't use the run pass on the move very well. Because anyone, yeah. it's hard to throw across your body. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. a D1 quarterback is going to be better at it than you or me probably, but um, Milrow, it was not his game. And, and so they they uh, encouraged him to roll out that way. And maybe partly why he lingered a little bit to try to keep his feet, but then Benda was on him. That's a great point. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah, because I'm think, I'm looking now looking back in my memory of him running right, and he, he's explosive. When he runs right, like he's like you can tell Lou. He can he can actually like outrun the defense running right, but also yeah, he's a right-hander, so it keeps the option open for him too. Um, what are your thoughts about the run game for Bama? Bama averaged zero point eight yards before contact uh, in a traditional running game, and if you look at the first quarter, I was a little worried. I mean, we talked about this at halftime of the in-game watch. You had some great observations about it. Bam was averaging over six yards per carry in the first quarter, actually six and a half yards per carry in the first quarter. But for the rest of the game, the rest of the three quarters of the game, they had 25 rushes for 42 yards. What, what happened in your mind? Uh, what, what was different? Was it just penetration by the defense? Uh, what was different for Texas uh, in that regard in the last three quarters of the game? Yeah, we were all over that in the, in the halftime breakdown that we did during the game. I think um, after the first quarter, Texas got into some more three down front stuff. So when they had like Alfred Collins at defensive end, rather than two edges, then Alabama's bigger sets were not very effective at running the ball. Cause Collins, He's a detail Col- that, yeah. he is very quietly having a great season this year. He's not really putting a lot of like, he's not really stuffing the stat sheet right now in the first two games. But if you watch, he is an enormous problem. Hmm. He's in kind of like um, DeMarvin Leal played a role like this for A&M in 2020, where he played like a strong side end. And uh, he didn't have that many stats, but the, like the linebacker who played behind him had like 150 tackles. Or something, you know, yeah, he's demanding oh. a double teams consistently. Yeah, Collins is kind of dominating when he plays defensive end. Um, so they did some of that that shut things down. And then we were we were noting like they were starting to close it up in the second quarter. And so we're like, okay, is Alabama just play hero ball from here with Milrow? Because he's kind of explosive and terrifying. But if they start to wrap that up, you know, or he starts making a couple more mistakes, that there's no way they're gonna win like that. And so I think I said something like, this feels like a game where Milrow scares you a couple times, but he just makes crucial mistakes and he just can't get you there. And that's exactly what happened, right? <laughs> yeah. He did. He scared the hell out of us, though. Poor <laughs> kill of him, but you're right. Threw a near six that yeah. was basically the game, but he also converted a third and 17 and scored a touchdown. And yeah. It wasn't sustainable. You're right, though. It wasn't – you couldn't sustain it because their average yards to gain on third down was over nine yards on average to gain on third down. That's not sustainable. It just – it makes life too easy on Texas. Uh, Texas actually was around 5.9, so shout out to Texas. Texas – remember, Texas was at 8.9 versus Rice. 
average yards to gain on third down. Uh, but no, it's a great point about uh, how they basically allowed Jalen Miro. He wants to be an agent of chaos. Let him because um, he'll there'll be more self-inflicted wounds uh, than there will be uh, him inflicting wounds on their opponent. Here's one thing I noticed though, out of um, really out of the bunch formations for Alabama, I I was a little concerned about it, and I started keeping up with it, and. I think it's something to watch. It's, I'm not going to be critical because that was such a great win, so there's no reason to be critical. The defense played really well, uh, and they made a lot of plays. Um, but one, the only concept that worked for Alabama was throwing to players who were in a bunch formation, targeting players who at one point were in a bunch formation. For those who don't know what bunch formations are, it's just a cluster of receivers, closely clustered receivers. And I, I have a broader definition, so it could be – it can be the tripod bunch, which Sark loves, by the way. He loves the tripod bunch. And Sark, by the way, Alabama used a lot of it too. It can be two, t- two tight receivers. They're just really tight together. Uh, they can be stacked, just one on top of one another. Uh, sometimes you can have what they call a quasi bunch. You can have a minus split of a receiver next to an inline tight end or an offset tight end, a running back offset to that side too, creating a loose quasi bunch. We're not talking about that right now. We're talking about actually kind of true bunch formations which are clusters of wide receivers so anytime i saw those what i kind of described as those clusters what i described to you as clusters of wide receivers in the bama game um over 20 yards per attempt yeah that that 28 yard reception on third and eight that 15 yard reception on first and 10 the 35 yard on third and four the 49 yard touchdown on second and 11 remember they motioned the stack with burton and the other wide receiver to get Jaron Thompson isolated. The third and 17, that ended up being uh, plus 26. Uh, there's also the uh, the second and 11. That ended up being an offset wing uh, with uh, two tights and, and 12 personnel. But still, same concept of receivers who are very closely uh, in close in proximity clustered who can run switch releases. Um, man, I count it, like I said, it's – over 20 yards the two-point conversion also he was throwing to players uh who are from a bunch formation are targeting players out of a bunch formation just something to watch they were over 80 percent completion percentage in it and last season it was also something i watched because i was concerned about it and alabama last season you'll probably remember this in alabama tech oklahoma state iowa state uh, all of them used a ton of bunch versus texas and were pretty successful uh completion percentages up to 80 70 and 80%. So there's something to watch because Alabama, that was the only thing that worked consistently was Jalen Murrow throwing to targets out of who are out of bunch formations. That's it. You think maybe Wyoming will do that some? They definitely will. I just don't know if they have the quarterback or the personnel for it to matter. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't think they can really threaten Texas with it. Alabama had the personnel to threaten Texas with it. And Jalen Murrow, not, he's not an accurate passer, but what that bunch formation does, it forces the defender to become reactive. Instead of re, re, redirecting and rerouting wide receivers, which is Texas wants to do, they have to read and react, and they have to give space. You have to be on levels so you don't get rubbed or don't get picked, and that creates space. It creates passing windows and that's basically what's happening to the Texas DBs. They'll fix it. I'm, I'm sure of it. But it's definitely something to keep your eye on. Sometimes these uh, weaker teams in your schedule kind of do you a favor because they'll see what worked against you and they'll give you like low risk reps. To get mm, <laughs> that's a good point. 
they like they oh. practice reps almost scout team reps. Yeah, yeah. Matthew, go ahead and give us the Bama tripod third and seventeen diagram, if you please. Oh yeah. So this was the third and seventeen. It's so ironic because I I really got on Orlando about bringing a zero blitz on third and seventeen against LSU. <laughs> I still am not really over it, honestly. <laughs> and uh, PK showed a zero blitz and then bailed into a, a cloud corner cover three. Mm, yeah. He loves this call because uh, it, it looks like a quarters or something. And then the, the quarterback tries to throw it to the field and then the corner is squatting on it. Nice. Um, that's obviously what they wanted to happen to Mr. Milrow here, but it's <laughs> not what Alabama had in mind. And uh, if you look at the diagram, kind of what killed Texas on this was maybe a couple of things. One, they're in this like cover three and Alabama floods the zone with yeah. all these vertical routes. Yep. And a coverage like that is not necessarily designed to be flooded very easily. It's tricky, especially if your linebackers are on the line of scrimmage when the ball is snapped and are then dropping back. Good point. They, they didn't get enough depth on this one. I haven't broken down the other bunch formation sets in this game to see what went wrong in those. But on this one, it was very much like if Jalen Ford gets depth, this is not a problem. Like Jalen Ford gives you major problems if he's not, you know, on the line. Yeah. And against Iowa State, who also tortured Texas and Bunch. Oh, they killed him. Texas is also trying to play a good deal of cover three on those downs. Mm-hmm. And they got the zones got flooded in bunch and they couldn't they couldn't get guys to the spots in time. So the Iowa State kept hitting the little windows in between. Like a guy starts to drop to his normal zone and he's like, There's nobody here. They're all clustered over there. I gotta get way over there. And before he'd get there, Alabama, uh, Iowa State would hit the guy in the window, yeah. usually Xavier Hutchinson. So Bama yeah. kind of did the same thing. Uh, they'll have to figure that out. Yeah, it worked. It just it does create bigger pass windows, though. It just does. It makes things easier for your quarterback because free release for the wide receivers, cleaner release for him. DBs have to back up. They have to give room. They have literally have to give the receiver space so that their route can define itself. And that's why they end up getting some of that. So I, that's the only my only critique uh, about Texas' defense. Otherwise, they were fantastic. All right. Uh, any other thoughts, Ian, on defense before we give a uh, quick uh, – I think I got a question about Wyoming before we wrap things up. Let's just give the quick Wyoming deal. Let's do it. Uh, okay. So my question is this. I know Sark wants to – he wants to infuse some confidence in the run game, and I think he wants to see some consistency in the run game. Didn't get it in game one, did not get it in game two versus Bama. You already closed the game. All right, but you didn't have it consistently all throughout the game. Even he admitted that. He didn't expect that. Uh, versus Wyoming, it is a good opportunity for you to infuse confidence and show some consistency in the running game. Now, you do have some injuries potentially you're dealing with with C.J. Baxter in the backfield. Um, but what are your thoughts? Because if you if you listen to Craig Bowles and you listen to the defensive coaches at Wyoming, they believe their strength is their D-line and their linebacking core. Actually, the uh, the pick to be defensive player of the year in the conference is part of that linebacking core. Uh, but the secondary, that's the work in progress, which match, matches up with Texas' we- Texas's strength and their weakness. Texas' strength is their passing game and all their weapons. Uh, what do you think Sark's going to do in this game? Is he going to 
throw the football against the weakness and take advantage and exploit the weakness of Wyoming and maybe put them away with some haymakers early? Or are we talking about, hey, let's get consistency in this running game? What does Sark do? I'm very curious to see the answer. My guess is that he uh, comes out firing and he kind of uses the game as a test for his line and his quarterback and his receivers. Like, did you guys really do any study for this game or did you just read your press clippings all week? (laughs) I'm going to dial it up. And uh, if if you guys aren't prepared, it's going to show up with uh, some pressure and some whatever else. And then I'm going to chew you out. So I don't know if he does that or if he just plays it safe and runs the ball. You figure he's got to take at least a couple shots. It'd almost be criminal not to try to attack the secondary down the field. Agreed. I mean, you might have you might be able to build a Heisman case for Quinn Ewers. That's it's, always, it's always good to pad those stats with like a 300-yard, three-touchdown game at mm-hmm. home at like night. That. Yeah. Um, so I, I think – I and maybe you would almost like to see them work out some of the kinks in the run game a little bit, but I bet they don't do that. I bet they, I bet they go guns blazing and they, and they, they at least take some shots before they settle back to putting the game away with the ground, with the ground game. Yeah. I, cause I think Sark, uh, he wants to see Arch in a game and I don't know how many big 12 games you're going to plan on having your third string quarterback, get some reps in. I think this is a game that he plans on playing Arch. The only way that works out, if things go according to plan, things only go according to plan uh, to see Arch. If basically you see Malik, what, mid-third quarter, early third quarter, somewhere like that, that means you got to get a comfortable lead early on. Here's the names to watch. Easton Gibbs. Uh, he'll probably be the best defensive player for Wyoming. Uh, he was a pick to be the preseason Mountain West defensive player of the year. Uh, he's the middle linebacker. They also have a DN, uh, Devon Harris, uh, who's a really good player. Uh, there's a defensive tackle. They got two of those, actually. Uh, nose tackle, Cole Godbout, and uh, the Jordan Bartagnol. He's also uh, another defensive tackle. So the D-line and even coach, um, uh, the defensive coordinator, uh, he admits this. He says their defensive fronts their strength, especially their DNs, Devon Harris and Braden Siders. And he says Sebastian Harsh is another good player for them. So the front, that's the strength. They might be one of the best defenses in the Mountain West Conference. The secondary, that's the weakness for Wyoming. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week when we're talking about a win for the Texas Longhorns. Ian, thanks for the time, brother. Sorry we went long, but uh, – I, I had too much. I had too much football to discuss with you this time, brother. Uh, <laughs> all right, we'll come back next week. Another edition of Football Theory with football theorist Ian Boyd of Inside Texas. Uh, and I am Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. We'll talk to you guys next week. Hook them.